Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. This will be a Thursday night slash Friday morning edition, which is not usual, but we thought we'd get you something that you could have on your your trip to Sioux Falls or as you get ready for Sioux Falls starting tomorrow night. Uh, Todd Buckingham here and joined by five special guests today, some of our more active members on the website and and in the voting community and and with some different things. So we'll just go around starting with Tim. Uh, introduce kind of what you do for the site, and then uh, then we'll go around. Yeah, Tim Hill here. Uh, mostly uh, Oral Roberts uh, naturally kind of uh, fell into St. Thomas just because of, you know, being about 10 minutes away from campus. So uh, I cover those two, and then my alma mater, STSU, obviously natural interest there. So I do a lot uh, with those three in terms of coverage and, uh, you know, interviews uh and mostly tweeting a lot of tweeting and, and tim you have you have a podcast as well do you want to give a quick yeah to that? yeah so my podcast it took me a, took me a while to get that going but it's called from my view a little bit of play on words of uh being your most unlikely of uh basketball commentators you know i was standing next to connor van over a few weeks back and you know talking to a basketball player that's three feet uh, taller than me is uh, quite a unique experience and so uh, yeah mostly with that i just try to interview coaches and players and you know brand and i have talked a lot about it just try to make them look like real people you know and uh, let people get to know them better all right, and then we've got Sam. Want to introduce yourself? And then you have an award show coming up. Yes. So I'm Sam Goley. I cover largely um, St. Thomas basketball exclusively, even though I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and then I, uh, with uh, co-producer Matt Wyman, who's an FCS All-American, we put on the St. Thomas Award Show. And uh, the awards are in, so uh, look for that coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Nice. And Brandon, uh, and Brandon, you have a podcast as well if you want to. Yeah, yeah, Brandon Jeffrey. I cover uh, NDSU, uh, write some for the site, transitioned a lot of that content just over to the podcast, weekly podcast, covering recaps of the games and previews of the games and then interviews with the players each week. I try to have a couple of players on. And as Tim said, you know, a lot of people see these 18 to 22 year olds as just athletes out on the floor and forget that they're they're people, too. And so just try to kind of peel back that curtain a little bit and and uh, let let the fans get to know them. So. Uh, and that's the Thundering Herd Hoops podcast. You can find it anywhere you get podcasts. Nice. And then Jacob, who also has a has a podcast to plug. Yep. Uh, I'm Jacob covered, you know, SDSU, and I do uh, a weekly uh, SDSU basketball podcast, Rabbit Rundown, uh, with the former manager on the team, Cody Reed. Uh, so, yeah, it's fun. Just kind of like what the other two said, just talking to guys that are playing. And um, some of the funnier stories we've gotten is, like, who's better at golf? on the team in the offseason. That seems like all the trash talk we get is which guys, basketball players, are good at golf and which ones are overrated. So I have a lot of fun stuff off the court just as much as they are on the court. Nice. And then and then Garrett is here as well. And Garrett, you can plug whatever you want. <laughs> well, unlike everybody here, I don't, ha- I don't have a podcast. But <laughs> I, I write for the site for not only for the North Dakota men, but also for the women's basketball teams. Uh, I do a lot of tweeting during the game and with the beauty of mirrored scheduling i try to do both games at the same time and wonder how i managed to cover it 
all in a two hour span. But I, I do my best. Nice. Well, well, Garrett, you teed us up. Uh, we, we have an interview with Commissioner Fenton about halfway through this episode. And uh, one of the topics that we talked about was mirror scheduling. And, and I don't want to spoil his answer because he said it way better than me, but that is basically a member choice. Um, from a fan perspective, maybe I'll even ask, do you guys have other ideas that you would rather see happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I could start as uh, since since our friend Mark from USD isn't on here. I think I'm the, uh, the probably the next biggest hater of mirrored schedules out there. Um, I have two simple solutions. I, I've pitched both ideas. And I think one is more difficult to pull off. The, the preferred solution for me is to go back to the doubleheader days. You know, you have men's game on Thursday, doubleheader on Saturday, and then the women's follow up matchup on Monday travel partners can stay the same nothing really has to change as far as travel and everything else goes you're missing the same amount of days of class the ladies would just miss you know monday tuesday instead of wednesday thursday so um that's the preferred method the easy method the quick fix uh just move the ladies to friday and sunday uh just put them on a different day and uh, again travel They'd leave a day later, they'd get back a day later. So you'd miss Monday instead of, you know, instead of Wednesday uh, as far as class time, but it wouldn't really affect anything outside of that. And then I think it really, I have, I, I know people who don't go to women's games just because they want to watch the men's game and it happens at the same time. So I think you boost attendance for both programs because there's the opposite as well. There are some, especially at some of the South Dakota schools, there's fans that are going to choose the women's basketball program over the men's and, um and so just having it at the same time and you can't really fix it on thursday saturdays they could fix some of it by spreading out the times a little bit and making some things happen there but um thursdays in the evening i mean you can't play basketball games at nine o'clock at night so um that those are those are solutions um i don't just complain i do have solutions so <laughs> well, that, that's good to hear that is one of my most frustrating things at work is when people just want to complain about something without an actual solution to it um anybody have a different solution or is that kind of cover the ones that that everybody else well, I, I kind of thought those were the two most common sam were you going to say something well, i was going to say like uh you know i think it'd be also more helpful sort of branded solutions for people that you know, like St. Thomas, it's a new Division One program. So, you know, if you want to sort of build up that fan base, that might be the way to do it. Whereas you have, you know, people like me that have been focusing mainly on the men's side the whole deal, and it's largely because there's that overlap. So I think from attention from a fan perspective, you know, giving them their own dedicated window or, you know, some other way where they have sort of their own time slot, but I think would definitely get, you know, bigger fan engagement. Because it's definitely, I think everyone sort of wants to be, you know, zealot fans of, you know, all their sports teams, but it's a little bit hard when there's that overlapping, uh, sort of pull, push and pull from those, uh, you know, having it at the same time. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, one of the reasons, and one reason obviously is Madison's very good at what she does, but one of the reasons we tried to get something going on the women's side is it's just impossible from from our perspective. Like if, if I'm wa- trying to watch as many men's games as possible, they're all happening at the same time. It just can't. And I would get a lot of flack earlier about not covering the women's side, and it's just not possible. Um, yeah, it's ten, it's ten games at at once. Essentially, yeah, yeah, it just, I, I mean, occasionally, all... 
Western is at six and Denver maybe at eight, but I mean, I, you literally know no fewer than eight games at a time on yeah, Thursdays. I can find so. 10 screens, but that's not, <laughs> I mean, that is just 10 things happening. Mean, I can't focus on one, let alone 10. So um, the, one of the other things we, we talked about with the commissioner, I think it would be nice. We'll just touch briefly on, cause we've talked about on the podcast, well, actually, I'm going to change my mind. We're going to talk TV stuff, but Coach Mills gave us a little something else to talk about. He was he was asked about the tournament in Sioux Falls, and I'll give you guys my two cents on his comments. Basically, his comments were that it's not fair as the number one seed that went 18-0 and that they now have to go basically to South Dakota to face the South Dakota teams, which will have a home court advantage. Um and then he did also mention how cold it was. I'm not sure what that had to do with it, but uh, but uh, but I'll give you my two cents. I I don't think he's necessarily wrong on the dif- disadvantage part. It, we can say get the Tulsa fans there. I mean, are we really saying that if if it was in Tulsa that that the same amount of of people would be coming from South Dakota that are coming from Oklahoma? Probably not. Um, so I don't know that he's necessarily wrong about the disadvantage to some extent, but I will also say you got to give me a better solution because when they had it at rotating between Kansas city and Omaha and and places like that, one of the things commissioner Fenton talked about when we talked Sioux falls in the tournament, he talked about the student athlete experience. And I just don't know that you get that from some, some of those other locations and, and yes, it's more fair, but where does fair and where does the best situation for the student athletes come into play? Um, anybody can start. I, it's tough with six of us here, but we'll just yeah. try not to talk. Knowing, about knowing Paul a little bit myself, um, I, I think there was purpose behind what he was saying. I don't think it was just random uh, stuff. I think there's a little bit of motivation. Uh, you know, you're you're undefeated in the league. On paper, you have the best team. So maybe there's a little bit of that, you know, trying to put a chip on their shoulder because there really isn't one right now. Um, 18 and 0, you can't come up with a, here's why they would stacked against us, guys? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's maybe some purpose there. Um, I think also, you know, they're finally reaping the wor- rewards of a good team down there. Uh, but at the same time, I – there's no logical choice. You know, it's easy to, for me to say as a South Dakota State alum, but there's no logical choice to move it for a lot of different reasons. Um, a, you're you're setting attendance records every year. Um, that's big check that you'd be taking away. You're also having to work, you know, logistics with your, you know, your broadcast broadcast teams with Midco. I mean, it's just a a well-oiled machine and it gets a lot of national attention and um i just don't think there's a logical choice behind it but i think a lot of what paul was doing was probably just firing up his guys um i i think he knows deep down there's nothing that's going to be changing there and he wanted a reaction um the only thing i will say that probably is going to backfire him on him is i think he just united south dakota state and north dakota state fan bases Sorry, Tim. Was I the only one pausing there? Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good job, everybody else. Sorry for just randomly yelling stuff. <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, who else has something to say? And I won't keep commenting every time Tim freezes because it's on my end. So. Right, I'll add a two quick. Wants to go, but Brandon, yeah, I'll just do. I'll I'll go quick. I mean, it. I'm I'm not a Tim Miss Tim Mills fan. I've never have been. Um, I don't care about the complaining and seeing whatever else. So I want to go back to your point about the student experience because I actually just talked to a gal today who's went to a couple of women's final four fours uh, with her daughter, and they went to one in San Antonio. And she said it was the greatest event ever. Everything was in walking distance. They were there. Everything was immersed. The All the teams are around there, the fan bases. And then they went to one in Denver, and everything was all spread out. And she said it didn't really feel like a Final Four environment just because nothing was in the same place. And I think if you go to Minneapolis or you go to Kansas City or you go even to Omaha, you're you're going to lose that same kind of sense of, it's the only show in town. I mean, when, when the summer league tournament comes to Sioux Falls, all, all everything, the whole town knows it's coming and, and they're ready for it. They do a great job. Um, and I just, I don't think you can move it. You, it. And I don't like the home game breaking up, but it's not a, tur- it's not a tournament when you do, you know, home floors and that kind of thing. And if you do a top seed, I'd like to obviously, St. Thomas is getting a new arena, but I'd sure like to see if St. Thomas got the one seed, you know, this year, or next year, trying to pack a, a, a tournament crowd into Schoenaker arena. So there's not really a, a solution that way either. Yeah. And, um, I was just, there's just like different coaches have said in the past. Um, I know the old Western coach said he used it as a recruiting pitch. Like, Hey, we're going to play in this conference tournament. Um, look at this. There's no other mid major that's going to, you know, pack a arena like this. You're going to play, you know, in front of more fans than you're ever going to play. We're going to go to our, you know, biggest game. I think the Denver coach said it last year, too, on the women's side. And she said there's never going to be another women's mid-major tournament comparable to this. So, you know, why would we move it? Like, she she used it as a recruiting pitch. And I don't know, if it is if it is a, you know, a piece he's using to motivate his guys, um, I get that, I guess, a little bit. Um, last year, I know SDSU really use the Charlie not getting on the defensive player of the year award. Uh, that was their big thing in the press conferences. And then Zeke with the freshman of the year that, you know, they use those as the motivation last year. So I get that every team does need that something to kind of drive the, that extra motivation. But some of the excuses, the it's 10 degrees below, like, I mean, you're playing an indoor game. It's not football. You're, you're inside. It's um, NDSU uh, has just as many you know, championships as SDSU. Um, so I don't know if you can use that as an excuse saying, you know, South Dakota state has the home court or USD has the home court. So I don't know, just maybe it's motivation, but, uh, I just, you know, it seems kind of whiny, kind of like the old Oakland coach, uh, would always do right before the conference tournament. So, uh, I don't know. This, it was a really weird look right before you know, the conference tournament starts up. And nobody is stopping anybody else's fan base from buying tickets. There's, Correct. there's literally... I've I've been there for 12 I've been there for 12 years straight I'm I'm not an SDSU or USD fan so I don't you know people can go if they want to go there's nothing stopping them they're just that's South Dakota Sioux Falls area is a basketball town and their fans there they go well and just purely on central location seven of the 10 schools are within five hour drive which is I don't have to go five hours but I go more than four and so that's a doable trip 
for I mean I I now this year with a 12 and 10 year old it it's not like it it it's it's a doable trip for most of, and and Tulsa's far away I made the drive to Tulsa that that was that was a trip so I get it that that it's more challenging for them but but I but I do think central location is 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 a real thing. Garrett, were you going to add something? I mean, um, you guys have pretty much covered it. And, like, the one disadvantage when home seeing, um, like, okay, the regular season champ wins it, you got to go there. Well, when UND was in the big sky and their women's team won the conference and they got the right to host, a few teams actually had issues getting into Grand Forks because, mm. unfortunately, getting to Grand Forks from air isn't easy. And so a couple of teams actually had to – Boss all the way at Grand Forks. They arrived late, and it did affect their performance. So, like, there's other things to consider when if they're thinking, "Oh, let's move home sites." Well, how can you get? How can you get to these sites as yeah. quick, especially and in March, as possible? Right. Yeah. Especially when, when in March, it's negative ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just um, we just got ten inches of snow in Fargo yesterday. So yeah. try try getting somebody <laughs> to a home site game here for the weekend. You know when that's right. going on. And I think, you know, the exciting part about Sioux Falls is you can mentally prep for that. You know, it's like kind of going off what Garrett's saying is, you know, every year. And that's the exciting kind of what Jacob was saying is it's it's a big show. It's a big production. You know, where it's going to be every year. You don't have that anxiety of travel arrangements because you're going to do it well ahead of time. And, you know, you're going to save money by not going. I think uh, I, I think Brandon tweeted or commenting something about the expenses of driving around different locations so yeah i don't know it was a weird take for sure well plus there's a, a casino like every 11 feet so you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're in good shape there too uh one last part on this and then we'll go to the interview with commissioner fenton and then we'll talk conference the tournament coming up um the horizon does a little bit of a hybrid where they play at home sites up until the semifinals, and then they go to Indianapolis for the semis and the and the championship. Um, couple things with that, it does give the where I do think Coach Mills has has somewhat of a uh, a legitimate. We want to get our best teams to the NCAA tournament in in mid major conferences. You just do now. Of course, there's a lot of fun with the with the upsets and things like that, but a lot of times that means a play in game if it isn't um, one of the higher seeded teams. Um, so it gives that where the the up until the semifinals, the the higher seeds get home court. It doesn't mean they'll win, but it, they get home court. And then when you get to the semis and the championships, it gives those fan bases they know who's going. Um, but then on the other side of that same coin, it's the casual fans are going. Do we even get tickets? Do we go there? Because we won't even know if our team's going to be there. What do you guys think of a hybrid option like that? I think it's just got to be all in one place. And again, here's the St. Thomas guy with the suggestions already. Haven't been to one tournament yet. <laughs> but uh, it, I think there's something special about, you know, getting all the fan bases together for one weekend in a town that really values the tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, doing it at a home site, would it be pretty cool? Sure. But again, it sort of takes away from, you know, I think the specialness of the Summit League tournament where it's every team gets to go now. Uh, you know, every fan base essentially doesn't have an excuse not to go because they know their team's going to go. So I think it really is only going to increase interest in an already incredible event. Yeah. And I I watched, I I haven't the last couple of seasons really, but I followed Coach Nagy, you know, 
when he went to Wright State and they have tried to create, you know, the Horizon League tried to create an event. First it was in Detroit, now it's in Indianapolis. And even with their staggered brackets, it still doesn't really do much there. I think that, I mean, this you don't mess with something that's not broken or however that saying goes. I just don't, I think we're overanalyzing, not, not us right now. I think just the discussion gets overanalyzed, you know, talk about moving it. It's like, why would you move this amazing show? You know, other mid majors don't get this attention. Right. Yeah. It just I, doesn't happen anywhere else. Yeah. And I, I think there's two things. One, it's, it's March. Like, upsets are what March is all about, whether it's in a conference tournament or the NCAA tournament, like get everybody in one place, play it as a tournament. You have to have that tournament feel. You play it on a home floor. Like you said, Todd, I mean, by the time you get to the last four teams, uh, do I go? Don't I go? Do I take the time off work? Can I get a hotel? I, I bought my tickets for the summer league tournament in November or whatever. Like I know where it's going to be. I know where I'm going. You know, everything's booked and you're ready to go. Now, as far as advantage goes, can you switch up the bracket format? I know me and Sam had a little back and forth on Twitter about it. I drew up a different advantage. But my big thing, these last two years are really bad examples because SDSU and ORU both went 18-0. and 0, But most years in the Summit League, the top three, four, five teams sometimes are usually only a couple of games apart. So... Yeah to give one or two of those teams a really distinct advantage when they didn't necessarily play that much better all season is kind of where do you draw the line there? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some, and I don't remember the conferences that do buys to the semifinals for the top two seeds. I don't hate that idea. I, I, I do think giving, even though they can still get upset, I think giving your top two seeds an advantage makes some sense in conferences that, want to promote that and it still gives some of the um feel and even the horizon uh the way they set it up in theory looked kind of good but what ends up happening is you get 3000 people there because nobody knows who's going to be there and and then you're scrounging up a couple hundred to make the trip when they know their team's going to be there so it just doesn't work in actuality the way it might in theory um Go ahead. Tim. Oh, one one more thing. I, it, and in theory, I think if you played your cards right, like and not stir the pot, you know, if if Oral Roberts plays NDSU and you have an upset one base, you know, the SDSU fan base is probably going to side with ORU, vice versa, you know. Yeah, and not so, this year, but not not, <laughs> not I mean not anymore. Not anymore. But like, not anymore. <laughs> but like you know, you, you know what I'm saying though. Like you yeah. play that underdog if you come in. You know, you're going to get one of those fan bases to root for you. Like I was talking to a coach uh, at one of the coaches at St. Thomas. And they're like, you know, it, it's not the end of the world that we're on the same side of them. If if we run into them in the semifinals, because then now the whole arena is going to root for us to yeah. beat Oral Roberts. And yeah. so I, I think if you had played your cards wiser, it, you know wouldn't have been that bad of a, a deal because it's still going to be 10,000 people in there. And right. some of those people want to have a reason to cheer for one team or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he's going to be matched up against the uh, SDSU session every, you know, every time if SDSU wins uh, first game, it's going to be, you know, SDSU right behind them. So every fan that walks in there is going to be going against, you know, Oral Roberts. So right. uh, he uh, definitely, 
definitely motivated some SDSU fans to skip the alumni party and the free beer for uh, to go cheer against them at those first that first game. Yeah, yeah. If Twitter is any indicator, uh, they're still a little fired <laughs> up. But, well, uh, bottom line is, if OR used that team, ahead. they they shouldn't have an issue this weekend. And that's yeah. the bottom line. Like they're the favorite, and they should come in and act like it. I mean. Brandon, you know this for a fact. How many times does NDSU the favorite? They went down to Sioux Falls and they took care of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, but I, I tend to side with Tim that there that there was an attempt at motivation here because there's no way you don't see the implications of what happens after you say that. That's uh, going exactly how a person would predict. Well, um, and I don't like I don't. You got a veteran team. They've been there. They've played yeah. in this tournament. They won it a couple of years ago. Granted, it was COVID year and nobody was really there to watch it other than family. But like, you shouldn't really have to provide extra motivation. And now kind of all you did is united the rest of the conference against you. So yeah. to me, it almost seems counterproductive because I think those guys were more than motivated themselves enough knowing, hey, we got three games to get this thing done. They're right. it's, They're not freshmen. They're not they right. they know what's at stake so um i i don't if that was the tactic i feel like it was probably poorly executed in in my opinion <laughs> well in the, most uh, tactics like the sioux falls like i think tourism authority had to respond to paul mills's comments yeah. i think that's when you know it's gone off the rails <laughs> See, oral, oral roberts just got moved to the motel six for some reason yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, if if you subscribe to the theory that no publicity is bad publicity, then it did work. But uh, yeah, otherwise, they and we'll see. I mean, we'll see how the tournament goes. They're certainly the prohibitive favorite. So um, with that, I, I think that was a really good discussion. We're going to go to the interview with Commissioner Fenton, and then we will jump back into. Well, I'll ask a few questions on who we think is going to win, who we have for dark horses with the tournament. Um, who, who pulls off the biggest upsets? Some questions like that. Hi, everyone. We are joined by Summit League Commissioner Josh Fenton. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Todd. Good to see you. Absolutely. Good to see you as well. Um, so we'll start with the hard-hitting question, or at least the Twitter hard-hitting question. Uh, mirror scheduling. I think I think the the reason it's nice to talk about it is I think people are, have some misconceptions as to how we get to mirror scheduling, um, and and who decides that and how we get to that. I know from the fan perspective, it's that whole you can't watch the men's and the women's team at the same time, or you at least can't be at each game. Um, well, how does that get decided? What 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 does that process look like? Yeah, so appreciate the question. Maybe take it back a couple of years. Uh, so we decided approximately three years, maybe a little bit longer than that, three and a half years. Uh, and the membership made a decision that mere scheduling was the approach that they wanted to take, uh, particularly with men's and women's basketball. And so um, certainly the, the conference does the research, puts puts the information together. Uh, we were looking at what other conferences are doing. This was also at a time when when the membership was moving fr uh, from nine to ten, um, and and how were we going to manage our schedule? So about three to three and a half years ago, uh, it was decided that we would move forward with with mere scheduling, and that had unanimous support from from all member institutions at the time. Uh, the first year was supposed to be the 2020-21 year. Um, that didn't happen because that was kind of the COVID year and we had 
very unique scheduling arrangements, almost similar to like a college hockey type of scheduling where you were playing the same opponent on Friday and Saturday. And so really the first year of mere scheduling was 21, uh, 22, and obviously we're now in 22, 23. And so this is the second uh, full year of it. Um, you know, I, what I will tell you is that um, just our approach to scheduling is a constant discussion point and topic. And the way in which we're managing basketball scheduling on the mirror approach right now will be on the agenda yeah. for our administrators and our coaches to discuss. And, and what we have to do is we have to identify what are the priorities for, for scheduling. Uh, I can tell you at the top of the list is going to be student athlete experience. And what goes into that are things like consistency, uh, managing missed class time, trying to manage the travel in a way that can make it as, as efficient as possible for when teams are, are on the road. Um, so, so that'll be first and foremost. But then we get into things like uh, the, the, the fan experience, uh, financial implications to uh, the home institution that they're hosting. Um, certainly there's a, a workload aspect to hosting games and understanding that mere scheduling at times comes with having to host games potentially every single weekend because one's either at home, oh. the road, or vice versa. Um, so all, all of that will kind of get rolled into a discussion about scheduling. And then we ultimately have to make a decision on, on what's best based upon those priorities. One other one I should mention are media rights agreements um, and the impact of media rights agreements on scheduling. You know, we hope to have some national visibility across our conference in the future. You know, that that may dictate that that we have to play on certain nights of the week or certain windows sure. on certain nights of the week. Um, so so that also goes in, into the kind of the puzzle as we as we try to put it together. Um, I will tell you, I think that there's a consistency approach to, to mere scheduling that some people appreciate, coaches, student athletes, maybe media members at times. But I also understand and, and fully respect, realize that um, there's also a challenge when people want to watch the men's program and the women's program. Right. And so then, then we'll have to get into what what do those models look like? Um, do those models look like where we can go Fridays? Uh, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, maybe four straight days where one gender is on Thursday, Saturday, another gender is on uh, Friday, Sunday. Um, do we look at it in a way where Thursday, Saturday, Saturday is a double header, and then the team or the group that plays on Saturday also then plays on Monday? You know, there's aspects to that that are challenging regarding class. Which gender do you put in Thursday, Saturday versus Saturday, Monday? So there's a lot that goes into it, no doubt. Um, but we're going to have the discussion um, and figure out what we feel is best for, first and foremost, our student-athletes experience and then those other categories I mentioned. Right. And and I'm guessing that's something you guys don't try to revisit every year. It's kind of we want to see how it works and, and get get a better feel for how things are going before you make big decisions. Correct. I, I believe when, when we made a decision three plus years ago, it was a five-year lookout at the schedule. Um, again, I, I told you 2021 really didn't happen. Uh, so we've had two years of it. That doesn't necessarily mean that, that we've got three more years of it or just two more years of it, depending on how you look at it, because certainly we can change at any moment's notice. But you're right. You, you don't want to go into it um, thinking that you're ultimately going to change it the next year. Right. Gotcha. So you had mentioned the look at national media. 
uh, coverage and trying to figure out a, a, to get a bigger footprint. I think a little bit of I'm putting words in your mouth, but that's something you brought up the last time we spoke with you as well. Uh, is there any news on that front or is that something you guys are still exploring or, or, or looking at different ways? Yeah, the, the, the news on it is that we're in the middle of discussions with various entities um, in crafting a media strategy. And so when we talk about a media strategy, it's a linear television aspect, um, both national and regional. And then there's a digital component with streaming. And so all of that wrapped together is kind of our, our media strategy. And so we're, we're working with uh, an outside group, uh, which is very common for conferences to work with an outside group to help us kind of understand what those options are. And we're in the process right now of, of having those discussions and hope to have some information in the near future. I won't define what near future means, um, <laughs> but we're certainly looking at a strategy that can be deployed starting with the 23-24 academic year and beyond. And, and we, we've got a media rights committee made up of um, constituents across our members. That group has met, I believe we've had seven or eight meetings at this point, and they meet alongside our, our consultants and hear the updates from the conference office on kind of where we are in this process. And so we're starting to get closer towards the end. We're not quite there yet, um, but uh, we're excited about what the future holds. We think the Summit League has a lot uh, that it can provide media partners, whether on the linear side or digital side. And so we think we'll be in a good spot here um, going into next year and beyond. Awesome. That's great to hear. I, I had mentioned on the podcast before, even that swing that Oral Roberts made from to what with Western Illinois and St. Thomas, two fantastic atmospheres that the more that can get out to a, a broader audience. I mean, it just showed how passionate people are about the basketball that's played in this league. Yeah. Yeah. I found a way to, to catch both of those games or at least bits mm -hmm. and pieces of them. And I, I tell you in, in at St. Thomas, I don't know if you could put another person in the gym. <laughs> no, it was no, so man. crowded. In fact, I tried but, to but beat I, one of those people and I couldn't. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but Todd, I think what, what you're getting at is just like incredible atmospheres in and around our venues, whether it be for a men's game and a women's game. And I get that they're not all that way, but there's a large portion of some elite contests that happen in the regular season that just have just electric energy and excitement and passionate fan bases. And I think that's what makes this conference so special and so unique. Awesome. So Wanda, you know, we've been talking a little bit about conference games and, and things happening there. I wanted to talk non-conference scheduling a little bit because I think it's something that all the members struggle with a little bit. It's just hard to get people, especially to come to to, to their place. Um, is, is that something you guys discuss with other conferences? Because I would imagine the Big Sky, the Horizon, all these other conferences, similar size and location are struggling with the same thing. We do. Um, and, and first off, your um, observation about challenges to get home games, uh, especially when you sit as a quote unquote mid-major, is very real. Um, and we all know how hard it is to win on the road. And, and I don't care if you're going on the road as a uh, quad one into a quad three uh, or, or vice versa. I mean, it, it just is challenging to to win on the road. Right. And you know, those that are at the A5 level or maybe even power six, if we if we include the Big East, you know, they, they certainly have um, the advantage maybe to not go on the road as much. You know, there's aspects to buy games that are involved in non-conference scheduling that are important to budgets. 
Um, but we are having discussions with other conferences. Uh, I, I don't have specific information that I can share today, but just know for, for you and your listeners out there that um, this is something that Mindy K. Larson, our deputy commissioner, and I have been working on and trying to help our institutions, number one, get home games, but also create a unique type of uh, event, if you will, or showcase of games across conferences that can elevate the brand of the league, provide more media exposure for our media partners, um, and just create more affinity to the conference brand with the fan bases that are out there loving our our school brands. Um, and so this is something that we're, we're talking about and working on. And, you know, we hope to, to come to um, kind of the public here pretty soon with, with some opportunities that people I think will be excited about. Nice. Um, just to talk membership a little bit, it, it seems that with Kansas city added a, a two, three, three years ago now, St. Thomas, a couple of years ago, and it seems pretty steady and stable as far as membership um, are you guys kind of focused on just making sure things are stable with the members that are there? Are you always kind of exploring with a potential additional members? I think I watch the Atlantic sun now has like 16 or something as I was uh, tuning into their basketball tournament. Is, is there a number you look for? Is it really just trying to find fits and, or keeping the current members happy? How, how do you guys look at that? Well, some would say that there's a there's strength in numbers because they're hedging on potentially members leaving into the future. And so I suppose there's an aspect to a larger number that plays into that. I will tell you that I don't know that I think about that as much. I'm, I'm more focused around uh, how do we create and add value to the existing 10 member institutions. Um, you know, when we think about membership discussions beyond our walls, you know, it always starts... And, and probably ends with what adds value, uh, what adds value to the existing value of the 10 member institutions that are upon us today. And value can be measured in a lot of different ways. There's, there's financial value, there's maybe some recruiting market value, there's media market value. Um, there's, you know, when I mentioned recruiting, it's from an athletic recruiting standpoint and also from a student enrollment standpoint, uh, recruiting, recruiting, based upon where an institution is located, can add value. So value can be measured in a lot of different ways. Um, and that's really kind of how we anchor our thoughts around discussions on memberships. I, I, I will tell you that if, if you as a commissioner or a conference office don't have membership kind of on a standing agenda with your presidents and chancellors, you're probably missing something. And, and that's regardless of whether you feel as though that your conference is very strong, um, a lot of solidarity, I uh, don't believe that there's really going to be any movement anytime soon. I think it's good practice, just given the environment that we have across Division One intercollegiate athletics, where we've seen so much movement uh, across, you know, the one AAA FCS level, even the FCS up to FBS, um, that you have to be ready and aware of certain situations that could come before you. And so you're not caught off guard. So it's a constant discussion point for us but it's really focused around how do we maximize value for the existing member institutions? And then if we're going to think beyond our walls, you know, we, we're going to need to add value with um, those that are not part of the, the family um, right now. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so last time we spoke, we talked about the tournament being in Sioux Falls and, and that, you know, it's obviously closer for some places than others, but that the atmosphere itself is pretty hard to match. Um, 
yeah, there are some institutions, including Oral Roberts, who has to travel probably the farthest. Um, it, what do you guys try to do for those in, those member institutions that are maybe a little farther away? Is that some, is that something you guys work out with those institutions, or is it just kind of something that? Well, they I, I, out I think separate from where an institution is located. Um, we provide, we try to provide a great student athlete experience for all 20 programs that are that are going to be here this weekend. Um, so that's regardless of whether you exist in Tulsa or Denver or Brookings. Um, you know, we're we're trying to elevate the student athlete experience, participant gifts, um, branding, feel around the venue. Um, make it a big time event. Obviously, we're going to have some good crowds, and so they'll they'll pump some good energy in, into the venue. So it always kind of comes down to how can we maximize the student athlete experience. You know, it, it certainly isn't lost on me, and it's it's not something that um, isn't on my mind because it is that uh, there, there's there's uniqueness based upon where an institution is located and in coming into Sioux Falls and playing the tournament here. Ultimately, we've, we've got a tournament that's a great experience. I believe it's the best combined men's and women's tournament in the country, and that's across all Division I conferences. I know some separate them out and do them separate, and they do very well with those. But if, even if you look at the A5, Power 6 level of basketball, when you combine a tournament like we do and provide an experience like we do for student-athletes, fans, uh, just the community at large, I think it's one of the best in the country. And so... Uh, certainly, we're thankful for the city of Sioux Falls, the community of Sioux Falls that that supported. Um, but but saying that, you know, we have to continue to look long and hard at what's in the best interest of the conference long term regarding uh, the tournament location, the structure of the tournament, the combined aspect versus maybe thinking about it separately. Um, and what we'll do is we'll finish the 23 event. Um, we've got a couple of years. Uh, still left on an uh, agreement here in Sioux Falls. Um, but we're going to start to have some conversations about, you know, what does this tournament look like long-term into the future? What are the priorities that we need to talk about um, that then help us get to where does the tournament get hosted? Um, and there'll be student athlete experience, there'll be fan experience, there'll be financial that'll be in there. Um, you know, there will be a and if I can call it this, a neutrality element um, that that probably will be on the priority list, you know, and we'll have to talk about all those priorities and see where some may weigh more heavily than others, and then ultimately make decisions on on where we think the tournament should be located. But we've had a great run in Sioux Falls. We're going to continue to have a great run in Sioux Falls. It's certainly the, the right spot for the tournament today, but, um, you know, we'll constantly be talking about what the future brings and look forward to those discussions eventually yeah and it's it's hard to argue on the student athlete experience i the there it isn't rivaled by many so um so kind of a, a question for you you've been been on the job now for a little bit uh anything that surprised you or that you learned uh that you weren't expecting or what what kind of has that you've molded your your approach or anything like that just with the experience that you've gained in these last couple of years yeah, I don't, I don't know that surprise maybe would be a word that I would use, but I, I found myself spending more time than maybe I thought I would in and around national topics. And I think that's because of the environment that is in front of us nationally right now. Um, you know, certainly coming from a single sport conference to a multi-sport conference, 
you weren't involved as involved in, in national topics other than for the sport of ice hockey um, yeah. as multi-sport commissioners are. And so maybe my colleagues across other conferences would say, well, that's just normal. But for me, that's that's been a maybe a bit of an adjustment. I've really enjoyed that, um, developing relationships with my colleagues, working on things to help hopefully usher in a a better Division One model into the future. Um, so I've spent you know quite a bit of time in and around that. Um, so that's maybe been a bit of a surprise if if, if you want to use that word. But I've I've really I've really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I've, tr I've tried to operate from a communication standpoint, similar to maybe how I did with the NCHC um, in regards to our member institutions. I try to over-communicate, um, try to develop relationships with the constituents at our schools, in particular our ADs, our SWAs, presidents, chancellors, faculty athletics representatives. Um, you know, and so so that's that's been, I think, kind of a constant from how I approach things in the past, but uh, it's been a great experience, Todd. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. Our family's transitioned to Sioux Falls and it's been a good environment for them. We have wonderful member institutions. We really, really do. And I've spent, I think, a lot of time with each of them individually and, you know, sense that they're committed to the future success of the Summit League, which I think our trajectory is extremely high. Um, I think we've got some things that we're working on now that will help us um, be a preeminent conference across kind of the division one AAA FCS landscape in the future. And so really excited to, to work, to make the summit league even better. Awesome. Well, I have just one more question. And so you, you were making a tour with both men's and women's games kind of to every member institution as we, we kind of had a little bit of a running joke of like, where's commissioner Fenton on, on these, uh, chat boards that we have and somebody would say oh he's at this game what was your favorite part about traveling out and going to different games around the conference well one of the things in the conference office we work in intercollegiate athletics but we don't sit on a campus and so we're mm -hmm. kind of one step removed um, so we we work with student athletes but we don't work with student athletes like ad's or coaches or, or whatnot work with student athletes so when we get to be on a campus just the energy and the environment of being in and around a college campus and I can tell you that all of our institutions exude some high level of energy and excitement. It's different at, at each of our places, but, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement around what's going on on campus, first and foremost. And certainly there's excitement around athletics. Uh, and then, you know, attending attending games. I mean, we we can't complain too much about our jobs or how stressful they get when part of our jobs means we get to go to an athletic venue, sit there usually in a pretty good seat to hide right, right. and, and, and watch, and watch a, watch a great sporting event um, uh, really across all sorts of different sports. And so, you know, I, I just really enjoy being in and around the environment and watching our student athletes compete and, showing the the dedication that they have to their craft and, um, you know, just seeing the energy and excitement around our campuses. Awesome. Well, that's all I got for you today. I appreciate you joining us again. And uh, maybe I'll run into you in Sioux Falls. Yeah, please stop and say hello if you do. Thanks, Todd, for all you guys yeah. do. Well, thank you. All right. Great interview. The, the, the commissioner's office, like they always are, were great on getting 
I'm Commissioner Fenton here. This is usually where I would ask different questions about the interview, but since none of you have heard it, um, we're going to go on to the Summit League tournament. And so this has been one heck of a professional broadcast as I've been screaming over the top of Tim when he was talking just fine the whole time. And then anyways, um, so Summit League tournament. We'll start with the 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 one on, on the tee. Um, does Oral Roberts win it? If you had to, if you just no odds, no nothing like that, you just had to put your hundred dollars down on somebody. Well, I'll even ask it this way: Oral Roberts or the field? I think Oral I'd Roberts. probably go Oral Roberts. They're just the most complete team. Um, you know, when you're the top offense and top defense in the league, um, it, it's pretty hard to say otherwise. Now, Tuesday night, if you go against South Dakota State, and that whole you know, what we talked about earlier with the crowd advantage, you know, you it's, it's a different ball game. game. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, they, they should win it. Sam, you said the same thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how their depth sort of holds up over the course of, you know, three games in four days. But, you know, they've, they've shown nothing but that they're the best team in the league, and I'd expect that to just roll right through the weekend. Yeah, yeah I think I'm not picking them in my bracket to win uh, to win the conference tournament, but uh, if I was laying down a uh, hundred bucks on them, yeah, it's hard to go against uh, Oral Robertson primarily because of their scoring balance. If Aismas isn't shooting it well, they're still McBride and Vanover. You, you know, you got Jurgens and and Thompson. I mean, they just are so balanced that they're not as reliant on you know if Mayo has a really bad night, SDSU could struggle if Masner doesn't do Masner things Western's getting beat so like NDSU if Grant Nelson doesn't show up for any reason like they'll they'll have a tough time so more pretty much everybody else in the league is a little more reliant on one or two guys than what Oral Roberts is because they just they have enough talent uh to go around yeah yeah I think they're half the bracket you know they benefit from that as well you know the one seed uh if if SDSU or NDSU were on that half of the bracket, I'd say, you know, maybe there's there's a chance going against one of those two teams back-to-back nights. But now that SDSU and, you know, NDSU projecting, you know, my thoughts, going to be matched up the second round. So they're going to go to war, as we see they do every time they play. And now that they have the winner of that gets Oral Roberts, like, that's going to be a tough recovery. And, um, you know, we'll see if they can handle it. But um, I think just their half the bracket just it looks – a lot more favorable um, for them to kind of make it to the championship and not have to really stress themselves out too much. Yeah. And I think the one thing with their side of the bracket that actually didn't work in their favor was the way that eight, nine and seven, 10 matchups ended up falling. I think SDSU is actually going to have an easier quarterfinal than Oral Roberts is just because Kansas city fell to the seven, you know, a while, a couple of weeks ago, that was probably, USD, maybe St. Thomas was slipping a little bit, and all of a sudden, you know, Kansas City, Shamarillion gets hurt, and they tumble, um, and now their offense is basically non-existent, and Omaha hasn't played offense all season. Um, so <laughs> SDSU is going to get kind of the easier quarterfinal. You know, UND and Denver both playing a little bit better down the stretch, um, but I don't think they have enough firepower to take down Oral Roberts in the first round, but um, they will have a tougher game of it than they could have. Yeah. Yeah, Garrett, what do you think? 
yeah, I mean, Oral Roberts is coming in as the, the favorite. Like a lot of the, everyone has mentioned before, like they're the most balanced. They have um, the production on the offense. They're balanced offensively. They are there defensively. They they should, and I would bet and pick them as the favorite to come out and you know, complete the this like get go to twenty like twenty one and zero win all win the conference tournament and hopefully make some noise in March. Now. I know we haven't gotten into this part yet, but if I had a team that I think could beat them, I think it's more NDSU. And I think it just comes down to, can they actually use Andrew Morgan <laughs> and use him to be like Grant Nelson's running mate and they get enough outside shooting, they can cause problems. They have enough inside to where they can cause the Golden Eagles problems. And we all know that I'm sure Dave and all of them would love nothing more than the ruin for a Robert's season, considering the history that the recent history those two teams have had. <laughs> I don't know what, what you're talking about. about. Yeah. <laughs> Is the G League season over yet? We could get to Elijah Lafile in the crowd or something. As, as painful as that for me to admit as a UND fan, and it hurts. I think the Bison have a better shot of knocking off Oral Roberts and SDSU. That's just me. Well, that's a good next question. Who do you guys got if it isn't Oral Roberts? I, I'm with you, Garrett. I think it's North Dakota State. Hurts. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm going to be biased. I think it's obviously SDSU. I think, like Zach said on, on your podcast uh, Monday, Todd, you know, they did the hard part. They held him to 29 second half points. Mims, you know, has shown Max now he can stay in front of him. He can be that pest you know, 12 points on two of 10 shooting. Now, can Zeke not go two of whatever? One, you know, he shot 23 times, he got 20 points. Maybe mm-hmm. some more efficient. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, Vanover showed he's, you know, the best defensive player throughout the year. But I feel like down the stretch, we did see teams start going at him a little bit more. Uh, Detlinger, you know, went 10 of 15 against him uh, in their matchup. So can, you know, Detlinger do that again? Uh, I think those are some things where if SDSU can get a little bit more efficient out of Zeke and, uh, you know, Matt can go at Vanover again. I think SDSU does pose a really good threat because they can guard Max and, uh, uh, you know, uh, McBride with Charlie and Mims probably better than I think a couple other teams can. Yeah. And I, you know, I think NDSU proved it in the – their last matchup. I mean, they they also, you know, held them 74. They were in it the whole time. The problem is NDSU shot four for 21 from three and couldn't couldn't <laughs> get the ball to fall <laughs> to to get the points to win. But they played defense exceptionally well. Um, they held, I think, Oral Roberts' two longest scoring droughts of the entire season were both in that game. They were a little over eight minutes and a little over six minutes. So they had the two longest scoring droughts of their whole season in one game, and they <laughs> still couldn't beat them, which is – Maybe they can't beat them, but uh, I think they got the formula to do it. They just, you know, need to need to get the offense going. My weird kind of thing that I've thought about with Oral ORU is Vanover tends to play 25-ish to 30 minutes a game. They haven't played back-to-back nights. As a guy that big, that lean, does he have the endurance to go – 30 minutes, two nights in a row, uh, three out of four nights, or, you know, is he going to get a little winded, get some, get some legs that are fall from under him a little bit. And, and if he can't, if he's not there in the middle defensively, they become a little bit more vulnerable. So that's, 
the one kind of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. I'm blanking on the word. I'm th- they're kryptonite a little bit, I think, is mm-hmm. if if he can't play the minutes that he's played all season uh, in a tournament format. I think I, I have a little bit different take on what could be, what could clip them is uh, when uh, Vanover gets pulled out, if he's guarding a, a five that can shoot, um, that causes them problems defensively because they like to have Connor rove the interior, you know, play Rover down there. Let, let's everybody else really be able to guard their man one-on-one, not have to help, um, you know, if UND wins their playing game, you know, we, we've seen, you know, Sotene be able to shoot from outside. They're a small team. They actually struggle more against smaller teams, in my opinion, than if they draw St. Thomas semifinals. That's another team that gives them some problems just because you have they play inside out where their bigs, you know, Parker and and Brooks when they're on and they're shooting that uh, that takes counter out of his comfort zone. And when they have to sub him out and play small, they're more, you know, mortal or human, I guess you could say on the defensive end. So I think, you know, that's that quarterfinal or semifinal match, depending on who they play, if it works out that way, could be their hardest test. Cause both NDSU and SDSU are going to want to bang down low. And that allows Connor to, you know, rim run, uh, well, not really rim run because he likes to pick and pop, but, um, you know, he doesn't have to run out to three point line against those two teams. Yeah, I, and it's funny as everybody ta- and of course, we're just talking if we all said we would take the reason I take Oral Roberts over the field it, is some of what J- Jacob and Brandon were saying. They both talked about poor offensive performances from their teams against Oral Roberts. And if only that didn't happen. And Tim, you had said it earlier, it's the best defensive and offensive uh, unit in the league. And that's just something they didn't have even in the magical run year. They just didn't have that that uh, balance. Um, doesn't mean it can't happen. One game, anything can happen to, to anybody. But, uh, but, yeah, that's why I wouldn't uh, – I'd take them over the field if that was my choice. They also have a guy named Max Asmus, so there's, yeah. there's that. <laughs> yeah. 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 As, as everybody's struggling with the coach, it's sure hard to hate that guy. The, the, yeah. Uh, and, and I think in such a weird era of basketball, their continuity as a team, yeah. like no other team really has that um, all together from a, a D1 experience. Uh, in, and they've been here before. They've played in big games. So I think that all good plays to their advantage as much as they want to say they're disadvantage i think they have more advantages than the sioux falls crowd get provides them a disadvantage well tim there's we haven't looked this up or anything but there's probably not that that many teams if they were to make the ncaa tournament that would have as many players that have played in a sweet 16 i mean right exactly especially mid-major teams like that's that's some pretty crazy experience so and i think this team is better than the one that made the sweet 16 run oh, i think easily like, hands down yep. mcbride and vanover are way better than than what they had in their place yeah. back when they made that run and the other guys are all still there so yeah. patrick mwamba's underrated underrated too he's yeah. he's he's a legit defender and can score a little bit too um so sam i want to ask you a saint thomas question i was and I'll, I'll 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 bleed it into if you had to pick a team with lower odds to win 
who would you pick just to throw your money at? But that leads to the odd plus 800 that St. Thomas opened at. And then uh, I think they're the five, right? Not Western. Western's the four, technically. Western's the four, yeah. And, and Western is plus 4,000 or something like that. And, and so what does Vegas know? <laughs> yeah, I it must be that they've seen Parker Bjorkman's three-point shooting over the last month or so. That must be what has sort of influenced them. I mean, I can't think of another good reason, yeah. you know, why they'd be, you know, exponentially favorites to win the tournament over Western Illinois. Um, yeah. I, I think, well, like Tim said, heard of a you know, they can make some noise. Plus four thousand and a five seed being a right. plus eight hundred. Yeah. Yeah, not that big of a gap, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> between two seed lines. Yeah, so yeah, though no secret Anders Nelson coming back or anything. No, no, I don't. No, no celebrity <laughs> appearances, I don't think. Okay. All right, no secret eligibility or anything like that. Right. Um, what? Well, I'll ask one more St. Thomas thing. T- Tim had brought this up too. St. St. Thomas played them tough twice. Um, they ended up pulling away at St. Thomas, I think, and then. Um, mm-hmm. Is it just the fact that the Bates can step out and shoot, or or what is it that 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 might be a tricky matchup? I I would assume you'd almost rather have Western Illinois win that opening round game if you're Oral Roberts, just based on past matchups. Right. I mean, I, St. Thomas has been kind of uh, a tale of two teams. It's the one that plays in Shenica Arena in front of 1,800 people, and then the one that travels on the road. I mean, so I I think Sioux Falls is an interesting up? one. Pardon? Should we put tarps up? Yes, I think we should okay. put tarps up, limit right. the attendance to 1,800, yeah. but only of the loudest people, and I think they have a really good chance. Um, all right, and then the same question for everybody. If you had to pick a dark horse that you just wanted to throw your money at, mine would be South Dakota. I can't remember what they were, plus 5,000 or 10,000 or something. Um, but if I were to just throw money at a team, it'd be South Dakota because they can shoot the ball sometimes, and if they just happen to come out and shoot the ball – and if they could make it through their side, you never know. I would, I, I'd take that plus four thousand on Western because they have a guy named Trenton Masner. Yeah. That's really the only reason. I just, he's a phenomenal talent, makes that whole team better, and he proved in the second half against NDSU last week that he can put them on their back and carry them. Yeah. Uh, I won't. I mean, Garrett's on here. I feel bad bringing it up, but I mean, we don't have to look much past, the, <laughs> much past the uh, the UND <laughs> performance earlier this year, uh, where he just went bonkers in the, in a second half. And, and I don't what what did he score? Twenty eight of his six at yeah, thirty three in the second half. Thirty three in the second <laughs> half alone. So, um, so yeah, that at plus four thousand, that's pretty good, pretty good money. And I mean, you're gonna have to get through all the teams eventually anyway. It, I they'd be the one I'd throw it, throw the money at. Right. Yeah. I think the winner of that, uh, that St. Thomas Western game, probably the best dark horse because you get past Oral Roberts, you're probably going on an emotional high and, you know, again, projecting you're going against SDSU or NDSU who just probably went to war, you know, for 40 minutes the night before. So obviously going to war against Oral is not going to be a, you know, a joke, but you're going to come in like, Oh my gosh, we just beat the best team in the conference. Whereas these two are going to be a you know a slugfest, so uh, probably a little bit different feeling, and probably probably would be the safest of the dark horses to bet on because they do have the Masters or uh, all the scoring that St. Thomas has. Yeah, I'd, I would have to reiterate what Jacob said. Um, whoever wins that four or five game, I would I would put because obviously we're not going to say the XDSUs are 
dark horses, so you can't pick them. So I, I would say whoever wins that four or five game for what Jacob just said. Sorry to keep back one, but I think I think that's right. I mean, ORU's had a couple of tricky games against Omaha, and if Omaha's giving them tricky games, you know, you got to hope maybe, uh, you know, one time they slip up and a team slips past them. Yeah. Yeah, I probably would go with the St. Thomas Western winner as the dark horse as well, with for all the reasons that were said. <laughs> that is that Sam makes a great point on that. When why does Omaha only play offense against Oil Rot? Like what? I, they scored 89 points against them in that one game. It was like 92 to 89. I don't. I mean, <laughs> there's games where I don't think they're going to break 50, and then right. just against Oil Roberts. I mean, Guy and Brian has the playbook. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Yeah. You just can't explain it. Sometimes you just have teams you just get up for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the Omaha coaching staff wouldn't mind them getting up for a few more teams, but yeah. you know, yeah. hey, Crutch and Kyan are former Oral Roberts guys, so maybe they yeah. got some sort of secret potion against them. Oh, they're probably or insider actually. insider trading information going on over there, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so we have a couple minutes, and why why don't we talk just briefly about the first and second defensive teams? Anything, we won't go through each part. We don't have enough time to do that. But there, I'll tell you two that surprised me a little bit. I, I thought Andrew Rohde would make first or second team, but he was first team, and that surprised me a little bit. And then Bowden not making it sort of surprised me. And uh, gosh darn it, I'm forgetting there was one other that I, that I was sort of surprised um, that was on, on second team. But uh, any anything that surprised you guys with the league awards that were announced? I think Shamari Allen's the one you might be thinking that drops yeah. to second team from first yeah. team. Um, he does it on both ends of the floor. I think that gets lost a little bit. Um, I think a lot of voters look at him as a scorer and he doesn't shoot necessarily a high percentage all the time. Um, so that can dock him some points. And obviously he got injured here at the end of the year, might've docked him some points, but he does it on both ends of the floor. He's first team. I, I had him on first team and, and Rody on the second team and in mine, but, and then I also had Bowden in, um, over Ray Q, um, like you mentioned, but yeah. all in all about what we expected, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I kind of going off of that. I think the Bowden, I think Ray Q getting over Bowden, uh, surprised me. I think a lot of voters looked at points per game and saw Mitchell's, you know, scoring numbers, but he's not an efficient scorer and he doesn't really play defense that much. So I think that was the biggest surprise for me. And, and mean, Bowden really not getting def- on the defense team too. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm saying I this, can, but yeah. <laughs> I could I could probably average 20 points a game in, in city league if I jack up 30 shots. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not. Yeah. I can't. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can get 15 maybe. Um, the the one thing that I was actually pretty impressed with is Matt Mims making the all defensive team. Um, the numbers don't jump out at you, but if you're watching games, like you can't deny, you know he's not overly high in steals numbers, you know, and he's a guard, so there's not going to be blocked numbers and things like that. But I was impressed with the voters for getting him on the all defensive team. I thought that. Yeah, I think seeing him guard Max was probably what got him on there, you know, yeah. being able to really make him uncomfortable uh, when they've played. And I think, you know, it's good to see those guys that maybe not get the steals or block numbers. But if, they, if they're if they getting that ace miss type 
Ace Miss Massner type assignment, and those guys are shooting high number of attempts to get to their average, I think that's more impressive than averaging an additional steal a game or an additional block a game, uh, you know, versus another guy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it shows a little bit about the knowledge of the voters that vote for the, the all league teams. I was, I was impressed with their fi- finding something like that. Um, speaking yeah. of inefficiency and uh, high shot attempts, I just got an, notification about Antoine Davis is close to the all-time scoring record and that guy from Detroit yeah his dad his dad allows him to shoot as many times as he wants a game (laughs) Jacob you're gonna say something yeah I was just gonna say about like Mims like you know the guy that could have transferred found somewhere to you know go play and you know stuck around and uh found a spot when Charlie got you know injured this year uh found a spot in the starting lineup and I think a guy that we would have all said maybe gets 10 minutes a game turned into a 30 a minute, you know, a night kind of guy and got, uh, you know, honored for it with a uh, defensive player because that is kind of where his, you know, niche was. He was a three and D kind of guy and now he's turned it into, you know, that more all, overall player. But yeah, that max game, I think, really vaulted him into that defensive team. So I think, yeah. you know, everyone's eyes were on that game. And if you could watch it, your eyes were on that game. And <laughs> seeing his numbers, definitely. Uh, There's definitely a conversation for another day. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap up. We got the interview. Um, so I appreciate, I wanted to get as many of our contributors on um, for this tor- towards the end of the year podcast. Uh, um, we're probably going to have a couple more. Av- well, ho- hopefully we have some with some somebody making a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament, but uh, we'll, we'll have a wrap up one as we start to see the changing landscape of teams not that long from now, unfortunately. Um, but uh, this this time right now is all about celebrating and getting, and, and almost all of us will be in Sioux Falls. Um, so that'll it'll be great to see everybody in person and and hope to see all a bunch of listeners and say hi as well. But thank you, gentlemen, for joining and and until Sioux Falls. Thanks, Dad. Yes, thank you very much. See you this weekend.